Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We are going to get into uh, a little time in the Word here. And if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Mark chapter 15. Of the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those four books tell us about the, the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Four, four accounts of, this, of the same uh, life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we call them the Gospels. Gospel is just a word that means good news. And so these are the good news books in the New Testament, in the Bible. And uh, I won't go into a lot, just in the interest of time. But if you're ever like, man, I need a Bible or I need help understanding the Bible, we'd love to help you with that. And I will say this, before we finish today, before I wrap up this message in just a little bit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Right? It doesn't matter if this is your first day in church or if you've been here 50 years or more. Uh, if you've never come to that place where you've repented of your sin, you've put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ, invited Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, um, then you do not have this assurance of eternal life that we talked about this morning. It is your decision whether or not I trust in Jesus. No one else can do it for you. Being a good person doesn't do it. Going to church doesn't do it. It's your decision. Do I trust in Jesus Christ or not? Um, because if your faith in Jesus, if your faith is not in Jesus, good deeds won't matter. And, um, you know, generous giving won't matter and good intentions won't matter. There's salvation only in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So be ready for me. I'll make you the offer at the end of this, this message. Well, that sounds like a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch. It's a free gift of God for all who would believe in him. Now, I realize that maybe you got dragged here this morning and you didn't really want to be here at all. And, and maybe, you know, you're not even interested in a relationship with Jesus that you just, you know, you're just a kind of a passerby this morning. Um, and if that's you, then I think you might be able to relate to a guy we're going to read about in just a moment here in Matthew, in Mark chapter 15, a guy named Simon of Cyrene, and he was referred to in the reader's theater. Mark chapter 15, just a few verses, picking up at verse 21. I'm going to get to the right spot. Mark 15, verse 21. It says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, that was Rufus here in the middle, Justin, was playing Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. And it was nine in the morning when they crucified him and the written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. That, that came at the end of quite a week. Jesus had entered Jerusalem quite triumphantly. We call it the triumphal entry. He came in riding on a donkey and people were celebrating and, and, and just honoring and worshiping Jesus, the son of David who'd come as their savior. But it was, uh, by the end of the week, things had changed drastically. 
Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And he said, this is the last meal I'm going to eat with you until we're in the kingdom together. And as he, as he um, uh, broke bread with him, he said, this is my body broken for you. And as he shared the wine, he said, this is my blood poured out for you, a new covenant. And, and they were kind of scratching their heads. What does all this mean? Then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where they spent some time praying, as had been their habit. And while there, the soldiers came and they arrested Jesus. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, a guy named Judas. And as he was taken away, the disciples fled. Most of them fled in terror. And Jesus was taken a different series of dramatic events through the night. Mock trials, uh, torture, beating, mockery. He was flogged mercilessly until finally the crowd said, crucify, crucify, nail him to that Roman cross. We want to see him die. And so he was nailed on the cross, the king of the Jews hanging in bloody shame. And as you heard in our little theater here, he was then taken from the cross on that night before the uh, night before the Sabbath and he was laid in the tomb. And then we arrive on Sunday morning. But, but I want to re- refer to this guy named Simon. Simon of Cyrene. Simon's just a guy. He's a passerby in this story. But verse 21 even, even just said, A certain man from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. They forced him to carry the cross. Jesus at that point, most people being crucified had to carry their own cross, but Jesus had been torn to shreds by the flogging and was was simply no longer able to carry that cross. I suspect Simon was a a businessman, a Jewish businessman based in Cyrene. Cyrene was modern day Libya, not too far from Benghazi, if you've heard that in the news. But he was living in Israel and there was a huge Jewish community in Cyrene. And Simon of Cyrene was not looking to get involved with this crucifixion business in any way, shape, or form. But when a Roman soldier grabs you by the collar and says, carry this, you do it. And so he carried that cross. And now 2,000 years later, here we are talking about a Jewish guy named Simon from Cyrene in North Africa, all because he was made to carry an unwanted burden. And I wonder if you've ever had to deal with an unwanted burden in your life. Something that was sort of thrust upon you against your will. Maybe a health diagnosis. Maybe an unfaithful spouse or a job loss or a bankruptcy or, or a family situation that was just so difficult for you. And whatever it was, you didn't ask for it. You didn't look for it. You didn't want it. You were just an innocent passerby grabbed by the collar of circumstances and forced to carry this unwanted burden. You have a choice how you respond to those unwanted burdens because all we can do is respond to those things, the things that we can't change. It's, an, it's a choice of attitudes. You can, you can have a bad attitude. That's just negative and unhappy and just... My, my kids use this term whinging, just whinging all the time. It's a very descriptive word. I like it. People don't really want somebody like that around. So you can have a bad attitude. You can have a good attitude. And a good attitude is like super positive and denies that there's any difficulty and just sort of ignores that it's hard, it's difficult, it's unwanted. Just kind of powers through, just white knuckles it 
Or you could have a God attitude. The God attitude says, this is hard. I need help. It doesn't pretend like everything's fine, nor does it wallow in misery. The God attitude says, I can do all things, but through Christ who gives me strength. That's the God attitude. The desire of this person is that God be glorified even in the unwanted burden. Here's how we know Simon of Cyrene adopted the God attitude with his unwanted burden. The writer here of Mark's gospel mentions his sons. He says, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Again, at the end of Romans, the apostle Paul mentions Rufus and Rufus's mom as key people in the church. That's interesting. Why would you refer to someone unless the reader knew who exactly who you're talking about? The reader says, oh, I know Alexander and Rufus. Okay, they're dad. Okay, I got it. Right? In other words, it tells us that Simon's life was so transformed by his encounter with the unwanted burden of the cross that he and his whole household became followers of Jesus. They let it change them. They let it transform them. Simon could have had a bad attitude and just complained about it. Yeah, he wouldn't have had a choice to carry it, but he could have spent the rest of his life talking about how unfair it was and been bitter and sour toward this, you know, this victim of crucifixion and his blood got on him and it was gross, right? He could have had a good attitude and just talked about how he just, he just manned up and he just did the right thing and look how good I am. I did the right thing. You know, I just, I'm just, you know, I just had the right attitude and I just, no. Instead, he had a God attitude. He humbled himself and was made a new person. And he put his faith in the one whose cross he was carrying. Is that what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross? I'd say he made the unwanted burden holy. And I would invite you today to think about this that we can make the unwanted burden holy in our life. Make the unwanted burden holy. Simon turned a terrible situation into a holy one. He accepted the encounter as a moment to surrender his life to God and change that miserable moment into a something that was pure and holy. What unwanted burden in your life Could you make into a holy situation today? What has been put on you that's against your will or against your desire? Wasn't your fault at all. And what is it that you could, through a God attitude, become that place of trust, that become that holy place? If you do, your whole family tree could be changed as it was for Simon of Cyrene. Make the unwanted burden holy. But then the turning point of all human history takes place. Jesus crucified on that very cross that Simon is carrying. And Jesus took each and every sin onto that cross, yours and mine, every person's past, present, and future. And he took it all. And in doing so, he paid the price for your sin and my sin, which we know from Scripture is death, your death. Jesus paid that price in your place and mine. Jesus suffered the punishment that we deserve, making what we call atonement, a covering over for our sin. Jesus then was laid in the tomb. And that was the end of it as far as they knew. Only it wasn't 
Jesus rose from the grave as we're celebrating this morning. It means that the burden of sin was lifted off of you and off of me, proving, proven by that empty tomb. Jesus didn't remain dead. He defeated death when God raised him to life. And then Mark records a surprising response to this good news. I want to take you to the next chapter, chapter 16 of that same book, Mark chapter 16. Of the four Gospels, Mark has the strangest ending recorded. Mark chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, it says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Let me just pause there for a moment, because you're wondering, well, what, why didn't they figure this out? Remember, it was coming on the Sabbath. They couldn't do it, Friday, take care of this Friday night. Saturday's the Sabbath. You could do no work as a good Jew. And in those settings, it was common to have a tomb, a family tomb, that would have sort of one kind of almost like a stone table where the body would be laid could be dressed and prepared and bombed there and then eventually it would be moved to a, an opening in the in the cave walls. So that's where Jesus would have been laid. And so it was not that uncommon for them to go anoint the body later. It's also a culture where even today you're buried the day of your death. And they, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? And verse 4 says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they said nothing to anyone Because they were afraid. This is a remarkable thing. Simon of Cyrene had this great burden placed on him as Jesus was on the cross, on his way to bear our sin on the cross. And yet as Simon carried that cross, he was transformed. And meanwhile, the women of the tomb who had no burden to bear... Not even the burden of the tombstone, they responded in fear and silence. How is this possible? Obviously, they got over their shock enough to believe and to share the good news. We know that from the other witnesses. But still, the shock of the resurrection was so disruptive to their life, it took time to accept and to recover from it. And here's what I want us to learn from the women at the tomb. You want to let the unexpected blessing transform you. Let the unexpected blessing transform your life. Jesus had clearly promised that he would rise from the dead, but somehow they missed all that. And so heading to the tomb, doing the exact right and expected thing to do of bringing burial spices, they had no reason to expect anything but a dead body. They had the best of intentions, but those intentions were neatly packed within the bounds of religion and tradition. And Jesus blew those boundaries away. What happens when we encounter 
an unexpected blessing in our life? Can we let it change and transform us? Or will we worry about the loss of tradition, the loss of decency, the loss of finances, money, the expense, for example, of, of, of something new that's taking place, the cost? I mean, think about this. These women brought these very expensive spices to the perfume, to the tomb. These very expensive perfumes, the embalming spices. What happened when they couldn't use them? Right? It's wasted. There's no body. What a waste. Who would pay for that? Would they even be concerned about it? Could they submit some kind of... I mean, could they claim it against their taxes? I mean, is there any benefit whatsoever? I mean, what if putting your whole trust in Jesus costs you something? What if it means you lose some money or worse, you lose traditions? Will you let finances and sentiment cost you a faith in Jesus? Will it hold you back from Him? What about those routines and traditions and habits? Are they more important to you than receiving new life in Christ? Don't let the loss of that which is beloved and familiar, even if it's religion, hold you back from faith in Jesus. The angel said, don't be alarmed. But they were very alarmed because the empty tomb and the living Savior was unexpected for them. And the angel said, go and tell the good news. But they stayed silent and they fled and ran away because the empty tomb did not match their traditions and expectations. And so while Simon accepted the unwanted burden of the cross and became a believer, the open tomb was an unexpected blessing that they couldn't believe, at least not right away, when that blessing should have transformed them immediately. So here's where this leaves us. Jesus has rolled away the burden of our sin. We've already sung about it this morning. And if you'll trust him, you do not need to carry that burden any longer. I'm amazed how often when someone, when I've helped someone pray to receive Christ, how often they'll say, it's like a backpack fell off my shoulders. So you don't need to carry that burden any longer. But can you accept that? Can you let the unexpected blessing of the resurrection of Jesus transform your life? So at the beginning, I said I would give you an opportunity to respond. And here it is. This Easter business might just seem like a church tradition to you. After all, the season gets a little bit confusing with the, uh, you know, pagan fertility symbols of eggs and bunnies. Of course, it gets sweetened up with chocolate, lots of chocolate. I love chocolate. But we're not celebrating eggs and bunnies and chocolate today. Listen, if you're taking your kids out to an egg hunt this afternoon, have a great time. It's fun. We used to do that with them when our kids were little. We did it all the time. It's great. It's a blast. Chocolate will be on 50% off tomorrow at Walgreens. (laughs) I will be there. I have no qualms about eating chocolate eggs and bunnies. But that's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent to die for your sin and mine so that you and I could have eternal life. Eternal life. I don't know about you, but this life will never fully satisfy you. Do you know that? Some of you are striving to just set it all perfect. And it will never satisfy you because you're not meant for this life alone. Jesus didn't create you to acquire a bunch of toys and a, and a bunch of stuff. Enjoy it if you got it. That's great. But that's not the purpose of your life. First Thessalonians 5 says that Jesus... Jesus desires for you to be with him. That was his motivation for the cross. He loves you. He laid his life down for you. And he calls you into relationship. But there's a catch. You have got to lay your life down. You have got to be willing to die to your own life so that you can receive his life. That's the difference. That's the catch. The Bible puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's gospel right there. That's good news. And whatever you've thought about God, you need to know that He is in one business. He's in the saving business. You can choose whether or not to believe in Him. It's your choice. No one decides for you. God loves you. Jesus died for you. But He'll never force you to accept Him to receive eternal life. Look, if, you, if you're not interested in God, He's not going to force you to spend all eternity with Him. That would be abusive. He's not an abuser. But he welcomes you. He says enough of all the striving. Enough of trying to be good enough to get by. Enough of trying to prove your worth. Enough of trying to accumulate some kind of security in your life. Today would be a great day to yield your life to Jesus. Around here we have a simple way of remembering it. We... we, teach this to kids all the time and we're all kids in a way we call it the abc a is to accept that i'm a sinner and i need saving that's the first step b is to believe that jesus christ is the son of god who died for your sin and rose again and c is that to commit your life to him as the lord and leader of your life admit believe commit It's not hard. The Bible says that when there's sincerity, if you believe in your heart, if you you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You've got to speak it and you've got to believe it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a little prayer and I invite you to, you can pray it with me quietly or out loud. And as I do that, I'm going to ask you, if you did pray that prayer in sincerity, that you just indicate that, let me know, and we'll follow up. 
It's going to be something like this. I'm going to say, Jesus, I, I admit I'm a sinner and that I need saving. I believe that you're the Son of God. You died for my sin and you rose again and I commit my life to follow you. Another a Bible word for that is repentance, where we turn from our own way and we turn and follow him. And if you're praying that with sincerity this morning, I invite you in the end just to raise your hand. Would you all bow your heads with me in prayer? And this is you. Just pray. I'll just pray it and you pray it after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need saving. I now turn from my sin. I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sin, and that you rose again. And I commit my life to follow you as my Lord, as my leader, as my Savior. I'm going to pray for you. God, I just thank you for each each one of us in this room. And Lord, I thank you those who prayed that even now. I pray that you would seal that into their heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this great and glorious day. I just invite, as heads, just remain bowed. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer the first time or you're recommitting your life to Jesus, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and I would just love to be able to talk with you. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. That's good. That's good. You're going to find that things are going to change from the inside out as you follow Him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this great day. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.